Jingi walla blagami arako dogum. Jendamani nyali garamanyali nya. Nyali nya nyathan nyathan jen. Garamanyali tugun gunu. Wana jangma malagunu gala tugun. Nyali nya tugun gunu. Bogube blagame. Thank you, Delta K, a Rakul Bunjalung woman, for welcoming us to country. Delta is a long-term supporter of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to Conversations from Byron, a podcast series featuring writers from the 2020 festival lineup. In this session, James Bradley talks with Sophie Cunningham about his new novel, Ghost Species, which is available for purchase from the bookroom at byron.com. Hi, my name's Sophie Cunningham, and today I'm going to be talking to James Bradley about his novel, Ghost Species. It's a really fine novel, and I feel lucky that I had the chance to read it several years ago uh, when it was in draft, and then again when it came out in April. And when I read it several years ago, I thought it was a novel about the future. And now, as I read, or as I was reading, I had this uncanny sense that it was about now, or very near to now. The novel is set largely in Tasmania, and it's about a group of scientists who are bringing uh, a Neanderthal child into the world, as well as looking at um, a range of other de-extinction projects. But the novel is a lot more than that, and it really builds like a kind of, to my mind, like an sort of orchestra at first it seemed um, to be a novel about these scientific pursuits and then it became very much something else, something deeper and more profound. I would have been talking to James in the Festival Marquis in August. Um, Instead, this conversation is taking place remotely. I was going to say more about the book, but I decided I really wanted James to have the chance to, to talk about it and introduce it because when I told him that we would be speaking today when we discussed speaking today. He was really keen to just say a few words himself about the book that it is and the book that he hopes it is. It's a fine novel and I very much hope you read it and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks, Sophie, and thank you for that. That's really kind of you. Um, So the book, I'll do a bit of picture painting as well. The book is a novel that begins now it goes about 20 years into the future and it is a a novel about a scheme to resurrect extinct species one of which is a neanderthal and they bring back this neanderthal child and the novel is about it's really about her growing up across about the next two decades uh, against the kind of backdrop of of hastening kind of climate and social and social breakdown and it's um so it's a look it's one of those books my my last book played was uh was about in a kind of large sense it was about climate change and it was very much about trying to i suppose do a couple of things one of one of which was to give a kind of effective sense of what it might be to live through climate breakdown and the other was to try and shift the terms of reference a little bit so that you start to think about where the space for possibility might actually be within that, ways we might think about different time frames, different time scales, um, questions like that. And there was a kind of political dimension to that about how do we create a kind of space for 
people to think about political possibility. And I guess this book, in many ways, this book's a much, I think it's a much darker book. In a, in a way, it's a much more, I suppose, despairing book. And I guess it comes out of a couple of things. I mean, it comes out of, I began it right about the time my father died. So it, 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 it's kind of, I think, inflected with all of that, that sense of kind of grief and and loss. And it's, it's very much about all of that because it seems to me that a lot of those kind of personal questions are ways, you know, the, the, they have kind of parallels in, in the kind of larger kinds of grief that lots of us are grappling with at the moment. But also... I wanted to think about I wanted to think about a slightly different question, which is about I, I guess about denial and about the way we think about where we are. And 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 lots of our discourse around around questions of climate and the environment and the future is about trying to emphasize hope. It's trying trying to emphasize possibility. And that's certainly something I was trying to do in Clade. But it seemed to me over the last five or ten years that we're moving towards a point where what we really need to be engaged in is a kind of process of of realism, you know, and, and what we actually need to do is to kind of let go of all of those ideas of, you know, kind of hope and that the world might stay the same and, and kind of accept where we are and think about the, I guess, the kind of scale of the catastrophe we're heading into and, and to a large extent how inescapable a lot of that now is. So the book's very much trying to grapple, I think, with the, the, those kinds of ideas of inevitability and grief and, and, and that sense of collapsing temporalities of time being out of, out of whack, of that sense that the deep past is intruding into the present, that the future is slipping away from us. One of the observations I'd make um, that this is very much a book sort of written from the inside of an experience. So it's set maybe over the lifetime of, of Eve, the main character. Well, not maybe, definitely <laughs> over the lifetime um, or, or uh, till she's in her 20s, I suppose. But um, so while there's an awareness of dramatic change around, as with a lot of children, it's not like she grows up constantly registering how unusual everything is. She's just in her life and living her life, not that it's always from her point of view. And that's that sort of that point of view I think really allows you to kind of create a, a slow reveal, which I found really interesting. That is we're aware of um, climate change and uh, a whole lot of a lot of sciencing that's going on as people desperately try and work out how to handle what's what's happening on a on a global scale. And then it's only towards the end of the book that that really kind of escalates so it's inescapable inescapable to Eve to kind of, she suddenly has to become extremely aware of what's ha- happening around her, and this is quite aside from the fact that she also um, is genetically a bit different from from those around her. Even though I, one of the beautiful things about the book is she's not genetically that different at all. <laughs> That's I think one of the things that you're you're working with. But I I wanted to get back to what you said about you started this book when your father was dying, and. My understanding is that the book, as it was going to the printer, your mother was dying and indeed died. And at the same time as these kind of um, two very personally traumatic events happened, that 
climate change, the situation with climate change escalated, the bushfires and then the pandemic played out um, and are still playing out. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the relationship between your process and the novel and what was happening in your real life. Sorry, it's a big question. (laughs) The biggest question, really. Yes. I I can do that. Um, Look, the... I mean, yeah, I think one of the things that lots of us are grappling with at the moment is we live in a very strange kind of world where at a kind of day-to-day, minute-to-minute level, our lives feel normal a lot of the time, you know, and then there is this kind of large-scale unhinging going on around us. And it's been really, I think it's been really thrown into sharp relief during the pandemic, that kind of weird sense of normality and complete extremity simultaneously is very a very weird combination and certainly what that that kind of dissonance that that sense of slippage between the everyday and the ordinary and this sense that this kind of geological epochal process is taking place around it is one of the things i really wanted the book to talk about but i mean at a kind of personal level yeah i mean i began the book Kind of as my father was dying, he died. Which is how many years ago? I realised I should have said. Um, Oh no, that's right. It was about uh, it was about three and a half years ago. Um, Right. And uh, it's funny. I I did that classic thing recently where you were trying to, like, in my mind, I began it just after he died. And in fact, I went back and looked. And in fact, I'd begun it a few months before he died. Um, So you know, I'd I'd done a little bit of kind of creative editing about my life there in my head. But. but, you know, I mean, it, it is a book. One of the things I, I found writing the book was that in trying to write about climate catastrophe and trying to write about what's going on in the world, once you're trying to do that, you find yourself kind of surfing this wave and it's very strange. You, you're, you're writing and what you're writing about is kind of happening around you as you write. And it's something I could feel very strongly while writing this book, that sense that there was this kind of hastening disaster going on and I'm writing about hastening disaster and it's kind of unravelling around me. So I kind of wrote the book through that process of we've seen over the last few years of this, the rapidly increasing process of kind of climate disaster. You know, I'm doing the editing while half the country's on fire, you know, with heavy smoke outside my room, writing about a world where there's bushfires that are out of control and then I guess as you're doing the not really the last stages of the editing, but kind of moving up to publication. My mum, my mother, who'd been sick for quite a while, um, that all sort of reached a reached an endpoint, and that was all particularly strange because we were, you know, it, it, it was. I mean, she she'd been sick for quite a long time. Over the last year or so, she'd gone downhill quite badly, you know. So we kind of knew we were in that that end stage um and then in the way of these things it all started to happen quite quickly she was in and out of hospital and then back in hospital in the hospice but she died a couple of days before the schools closed in australia you know and and so we had these last probably three weeks where we were you know she was in a hospital it's about half an hour's drive from my house so i was kind of back and forth from there every day you're sitting in the car could you have a funeral for her when she died james no or? no we couldn't no no she so they banned gatherings by the time she actually died so we couldn't do any of that normal any of that stuff that you'd normally do but even the last week or so she was alive you know we were in the hospice having these kind of running 
you know, arguments is putting it too high, but certainly running complex interactions with the hospice staff who wanted to bring in rules about only one of us being in the room with her at a time, you know, which was extremely difficult because I've got three brothers and a stepsister and a stepfather. And so there were a number of people who wanted to see her. And then they didn't want us sitting in the waiting room because, you know, for obvious reasons, they didn't want too many people in the hospital at once. You know, but it, it, it was extremely difficult trying to manage all of that against the backdrop of and just really weird. I mean, you kept, you know, you're kind of sitting in the hospital having this kind of personally incredibly significant thing and then you're stepping out and every time you'd get back in the car, there'd be another news report about, you know, well, they've closed the borders or, or um, you know, you can't buy food in any of the supermarkets. And it was, it was a really very, it was a very difficult kind of moment, but it was also a really strange moment because you kind of felt the world unravelling around you as your kind of personal world was unravelling. And I guess the book is very much about this. that. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I didn't it to talk over you. Oh, no, no, no. No, that's all right. I mean, I think the book is certainly because my father had been ill and then my mother had been ill. I think I'd been thinking a lot about a number of those questions about how do you how do you handle grief and, and lots of that kind of anticipatory grief. You know, as someone said to me the other day, you know, the grieving for people often begins long before they actually die because you know they're dying. Um, well, that was the question I actually wanted to, to ask you because I read this um book a draft of this book I don't know quite early on maybe two and a half years ago and even then the arc in which um the mother figure in the book um you know the, the, the grief associated but she feels grief about her relationship with her mother and then there's grief between her and her um and Eve uh, um they cause each other grief in various ways so as an outsider, I'd say these that writing about grief and how to handle it was sort of in in the kind of bones of the book, even yeah, even back then. Yeah, and I think I mean, look, I think there'd been you know that patch where my father died. You know, our mutual friend Georgia died, and then my agent in the UK, who was a very old friend of mine, all died in the space of about six weeks. You know, so it had been, I guess, kind of handling all of those questions of. Of grief had been something I'd been thinking of, but I think it goes back also to when I was talking before about, you know, people talk about climate grief and things like that. And I'm never sure that our language around it is very precise, but I do think that that sense that we're losing, we're losing the futures that we thought we had, you know, we're losing the world around ourselves. We're losing the things that connected us to the past, that kind of interruption of various forms of continuity and expectation, which is one of the things I think climate change is doing to people, is very profound. And we don't have, I don't think we have very good mechanisms, rituals, you know, ways of thinking about and processing that that process of grief. So I do think one of the things the book is trying to do is to think about that question of how do you, how do you process and think about this kind of large-scale, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, I mean, people talk about climate grief, but, I mean, I, I guess that sense that our world is slipping away from us in some sense. And I think that is a very profound kind of dislocation. People find it very difficult. I find it very difficult to deal with. Well, the pandemic has, um, I think, mean, means that people are having to try and find 
are being forced to find a language for it. I know that the bushfires were um, one thing and in a way more shocking and distressing on a kind of physical level for me. But what the pandemic is, has certainly done for all of us is raise these kind of more existential questions about what now, what, what next. Um, when, when did you intend the book to be set? Because I know that when I read it, read a draft of it, uh, a few years ago, it felt like it was set in the future, but I have to say this felt set very close to now. Certainly the beginning of the book set felt absolutely set now, um, you know, maybe the end a little bit further down the track. Did you ever have a sense of how far you're projecting in the, into the future or did you really feel that you were writing a story that could have been unfolding as you were writing it? Um well, look, I mean, obviously it goes a couple of decades into the future because she grows up. So, But my sense was always that it kind of began now. And one of the things yes. I really wanted the book to do was, you know, and, and it's kind of there in the language. You know, I wanted a book which felt like it kind of inhabited, you know, that kind of breaking wave of the zeitgeist. You know, like it felt like it was in the moment that we're in now. So... There's a lot of stuff, particularly in the early stages, which is about the, the kind of tech companies and things like that. And I wanted that sense that, you know, this is right now. This is this is kind of our world that we're in now. But what it's capturing is kind of the weirdness and dislocation of that world, but also, you know, the kind of ways that great wealth intrude into it, the way that great wealth is distorting the world. Because the, the scheme to resurrect the the child is is put in place by this kind of tech billionaire but um but you know it's really also wanted... based on a real i mean i did wonder if in fact there were i know that you know that there's certainly de-extinction programs for mammoths and th- i think I, that's my understanding i was curious to know how much um how much the, the whether you had a sense about whether these um experiments were actually happening at the moment um look i think I think it's one of those things people talk about more than do. Um, uh, there has been some movement in that direction in Australia. They've, you know, they've kind of assembled the the building blocks for doing it with the thylacine. And in fact, the team who were working on that, I think, are down in Melbourne. Um, you know, and there's certainly talk about bringing back mammoths and some of those large creatures. Um, one of the things that the book, oddly enough, it's actually not based on this, but I found out about it after I was writing the book. Is there's a scheme very similar to the one in the book where up in Siberia they've got this huge area they call Pleistocene Park and what they want to do is do a, kind of exactly what they're talking about doing in the book, which is to recover an ice age environment to stop the permafrost melting. And up there they're trying to bring back, you know, they're, they're kind of playing around with schemes to bring back mammoths and things, but I don't think any of it's very, very advanced. I think there's one species they have de-extincted, but it was something that had only just disappeared. You know, so, I mean, I think... It's certainly something that they are, you know, it's it's kind of within the realm of scientific possibility, but perhaps not actually happening. And like lots of these things, I suspect there are big technological and certainly ethical hurdles towards it actually happening. And the notion you do it with a, a species as old as a Neanderthal is actually kind of scientific, scientifically very, very difficult. So yeah, it's, it, it, Good science fiction, but it's it's perhaps not not something that is right about to happen now. 
Do you think the, um, the idea of de-extinction relates to the de- denial you were talking about? Because, I mean, with all due respect to mammoths or thylacines, so what if you de-extinct them? Like what, what, where, are, where are they going to live? What do they live on? What is the point of having them in the world now um, if there's not a world that will support and, and embrace, the, embrace their existence? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that is one of the things that the book wants to think about is this idea that, I mean, I do think there's something incredibly profound and deeply unsettling about this idea that something that is gone, a creature that, you know, might exist only in fossils or whatever might suddenly come back into being, you know. So, I mean, in in a sense, whether that's scientifically possible or not, in a narrow sense, it's such a powerful metaphorical idea because it does capture that sense that we all have of time being out of joint, of that sense that you know, the lakes are drying up and towns are emerging out of them, that sense that these frozen animals are emerging out of the molten permafrost, that, that kind of sense that deep time is erupting into, into human time, which we have, we have kind of going on around us right at the moment. James, I was wondering if there was a particular image or moment which triggered uh, uh, your uh, the ideas around this novel. I mean, I know that in a general sense, you've been thinking about lots of different um, different ideas around um, the future, climate change, the extinction. But was uh, but the interest in deep time is something that uh, I love in your work. And so I wondered if there was a particular event or something that that got that got you going on this particular project. Um. So. I mean, that's that. I, I, I'm fascinated, and I've, I've been fascinated for a long time by, kind of all my life, by all of those questions about time and its depth, and its depth in both directions, both into the deep past and the deep future. Um, and certainly in Clade, they were things I was trying to think about, think about quite a lot, because it seems to me that they, they reframe the human in a series of ways. As soon as you're thinking about, you know, depth of time stretching back tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years, you begin to see, I guess, kind of human life in a very different kind of perspective. And simultaneously, I think once you start projecting 100 or 500 or 10,000 years into the future, it does something to our sense of kind of the permanence of the kind of political and social arrangements we have now. But I guess in an odd kind of way with this one, the thing that I began with wasn't really that idea of deep time it was you know i mean i i knew immediately once i had the stuff about the neanderthal it was a wonderful metaphor for thinking about that but i really began i think with a more personal thing in an odd kind of way what the book really began with it was the idea of in in its final version it's, it's it's really the mother mainly but but of these people with this strange child trying to kind of raise it alone and about a whole lot of questions around I guess the kind of intensity and closeness of that kind of situation and and the ways in which you're isolated by having a child who is not like other children. So, I mean, it, I, I guess it began in an odd way in a series of personal questions rather than a series of kind of me- metaphysical or geological questions. But but I think that that kind of personal, that sense of the kind of personal connection and of the 
ways in which the characters both save and damage each other in quite close ways was was really I, I guess where the the idea for the novel began. Okay, what I wanted to know it, it's a question that relates to what you were just saying to me. Uh, the idea that in some ways it's just a, it's about families and the way people relate under um, difficult circumstances or in very isolated circumstances and having a child that's not neurotypical. I, there was a particular moment in the book and I was really interested to know whether it was to do with Eve being Neanderthal or whether it was just to do with Eve being a young woman navigating a difficult world and that moment was where she should have lied to protect her friends but just couldn't. Um, and I was just, as a writer, I suppose I wanted to know if that was a plot point or something to do with her being a Neanderthal child or woman by that stage. Um, well, I mean, it, one of the things that really interested me about writing Eve was this kind of idea of someone who is like us but not like us and that sense that you know, that there might be different ways of being human. And obviously that's an extension. I mean, you, you talk about the idea of neurotypical, but I mean, that, that is a, a one level an extension of that kind of sense that we have dealing with people who are not neurotypical, that there are just other ways of being a human being, you know. Um, so I was really, I really wanted her to be like that. But I wanted, one of the things I loved about the character of Eve was that sense that she is somebody for whom many of the things that we do routinely, uh, you talk about lying, but also violence, um, just the kind of cruelty of human society is, is really quite baffling because it seemed to me that there's a kind of switch you can pull. And the book does a thing structurally where about halfway through, it shifts point of view from the mother character to Eve, and she becomes, in a sense, the viewpoint from then on. And it seemed to me that once you move into that mind, this person who is just on the other side of a, of a kind of valley from us, looking back at us, then suddenly you are looking back. And and that sense that we we see ourselves differently when we're seen through different eyes. And, you know, interestingly enough, at the beginning of the project, that's the thing that one of the things that the, the billionaire who's setting it up wants to do, he wants to achieve a situation where we are forced to test our assumptions by seeing ourselves through different eyes. And in a sense, the book, Eve becomes a way of doing that. You know, she, she really does do that. You know, we see ourselves differently. We see our violence. We see our cruelty. We see our, you know, kind of deceit and scrabbling for power suddenly become very apparent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was th th that kind of sense that she... She is different and she finds lying difficult. She finds lying difficult to understand and difficult to deal with. Um, is absolutely part of who she is. But it's also, as you say, it's a kind of plot device. It's a way of allowing ourselves to see us differently, to see our world differently. And I think that's, that's a really powerful tool. It's really interesting. You talked about the pandemic before. I do think one of the things that's happened in the pandemic was that sense that we suddenly see all of these things about our world that we thought were immovable and unchangeable and necessary are suddenly exposed as being, you know, nothing of the sort. You know, they're just kind of human structures that we could change. And and I think that that, sent, that, that capacity to see things differently opens up a whole world of kind of possibility. Well, I... 
There are actually a lot of questions I could ask. <laughs> um, I think I'm just going to um, finish with a, asking a nerdy question, which I was um, – because that was <laughs> it was a very beautiful point. I did want to know how hard it was to um, research or understand what a Neanderthal human might have been like. Was there much? Was is that where you had to um, enter the realm of fiction, or was there a kind of quite a lot of? Because as you say, there's so many metaphoric. There's so much metaphoric work that is done with the idea of bringing back a different type type of human. Uh, but so I wanted to know whether you just had to kind of uh, use the realm of your imagination for that, or whether there's kind of material around. Look, there's loads. It's a really interesting question because the the science around Neanderthals kind of has moved a lot. And, and look, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend that I am. Um, but as you read the material, what's clear is that there are quite profound disagreements within the scientific community about what Neanderthals were like, about what their level of social sophistication was like, about what their level of cognitive sophistication was like, about how, whether they had language, how sophisticated it was. So I, I quite early on took the decision that there wasn't a consensus with which to work. So I chose some things out of the literature and kind of constructed my idea of what Neanderthals might be like, what would work in the book. Um, and so th th there's certainly all of that. But I mean, there's something very, seemed to be something very important about Eve herself and that idea that one of the ways we constantly construct Neanderthals is they become a kind of other for us. They become this brutish animal that is all of our kind of most brutish tendencies made manifest and and part of that is always that they're kind of clumsy and misshapen in some way and it was really important to me that she not be any of those things i mean it seems to me that if you look at if you look at a an ape you know there, there's no sense in which they're clumsy and misshapen they are a creature that is beautifully designed to inhabit its world and and i wanted that sense that she herself is a kind of she is that you know she is some uh, as a human being is as a sapient human being is she she is a kind of perfect machine at some level just a different perfect machine to us so i wanted that sense that whatever she was like cognitively she was physically you know her own thing not uh not a not a lumpish brutish reflection of of ourselves well, you do that, you convey that very beautifully. You convey many things very beautifully and, and yes, there's a kind of melancholy in the book, which I, I suppose our discussion has to some extent become a bit about grief, climate grief, pandemic grief, and indeed the kind of personal grief involved in, in losing parents. Uh, and, but I do think the way those kind of the personal and the global is kind of collapses together is really rich. For a writer, it's really rich for a reader. Um, and that is just one of the many things I appreciated, appreciated about the book. So thanks for talking to me today, James. And um, I'm looking forward to your next book. I'm not going to ask you what your next book is because we're out of time, but I would if we had more time. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. This series has been generously supported by the Copyright Agency's Cultural Fund. For more conversations, please visit byronwritersfestival.com.